Hello, I'm David Moskrop. Welcome to Open to Debate, brought to you by Interact. Throughout the country, politicians and policymakers routinely talk about the need to address Canada's historic and ongoing colonial practices. Talk is plentiful. Action is less so. Among the many manifestations of Canada's legacy in present-day colonialism is a healthcare and healing crisis in which Indigenous peoples are overrepresented among those struggling. The challenge calls for decolonization, including robust structural changes informed by the answers to the question, how can we reimagine Indigenous healthcare and healing? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Elder Alma Brooks of the Native Women's Association of Canada. Let's start with how we ended up with the challenges and crises that many Indigenous peoples and communities are facing today. Thinking about this country's past and present, racism and colonialism, how do we end up with the health care and healing crisis we have now? Well, you know, um, colonization um, has taken its toll on our people. And if, you know, if following the doctrine of discovery, I mean, we had here in in this neck of the woods, we had a hundred years of war. We we had pandemics. This is not the first pandemic that we experience right now. We had uh, several in the past that that took um, a large toll on our people. We had broken treaties. Um, promises that were made were broken. We had theft of our lands and our waters and our resources. And also, you know, the degradation of and poisoning of our um, food chain. And we had germ warfare, uh, infected blankets deliberately uh, distributed amongst our people. We had racism and and discrimination, which continues to permeate throughout the the system even to this day, uh, we've had the effects of the uh, a lot of sim- assimilation efforts, which also continues to this day. So, when you put meat into a meat grinder, are we surprised when hamburger comes out the other end? <laughs> No, no, we're not. And, and and if we keep doing the same thing, we ought not to be surprised if we get the same results. And we do the same thing over and over and over. And we think that some, a different, you know, uh, that there's going to be a different uh, <laughs> ending. But, uh, you know, we, we, we go through this. And, I mean, we have been experiencing 13 generations of this type of um, abuse. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, if you look at it, you know, you could almost say that it was premeditated crime uh, of genocide. And is ongoing. I want, I want to build out that point because you know, in a lot of minds, colonialism was in the past, it was, a, it was an historical event or fact instead of an ongoing structure process. So, I mean, this is still happening, right? I mean, the, the legacy of colonialism is one thing, but it's still with us today, right? Well, yes, and it's, it was a very well-crafted plan. It was not just a group of, uh, you know, uh, 
individuals who were misguided. This was a deliberate plan to uh, wipe us from the face of the earth. We were in the way. We were in the way. And, uh, you know, so many, so many, many things. And, I mean, I just, I that was just the tip of the iceberg. It goes, there's many layers to that colonization. There's many layers. And the impacts we see in our communities today, the effects of, uh, and the impacts we see, the effects in our community today. That's why, you know, health, we, we need to, we, we are in a health crisis. Indigenous leaders often say that their public health should be self-determined, uh, that their health systems and outcomes uh, should be directed by them. Uh, this in part is, is uh, an element of undoing colonialism. What are some examples of of what that might look like in terms of practice, in terms of of governance, uh, both in a sort of general sense and perhaps even in in particular communities? Well, you know, certainly what they've been doing so far has not been working. Uh, It hasn't worked. So we definitely should have a say. I don't think that, um, uh, you know, that the leadership, uh, uh, you know, means that we should not participate in the Western health system. Uh, We could use a combination of both would be, I think, the best of both worlds would be a much better um, result. I I noticed lately that um, science now, there's a new science. They're they're taking um, Darwin's theory and throwing it out the window. (laughs) <laughs> and now I notice that that um, they're they're starting to look at um, things that are much closer to what our ancestors believed in. I was I was surprised when I when I learned that that scientists didn't didn't know that all life was connected. Our ancestors have always known that. So, so I was kind of surprised when I when I learned that they didn't um, they, they didn't know that until recently, and and so this new science they're calling epigenetics, uh, I'm very interested in in uh, where that's going to be taking us, and uh, so I think you know I think that uh, it would be good if we could combine. Uh, Western knowledge in in a matter of health and uh, the traditional indigenous knowledge, and I think uh, some of our people, especially our our uh, people who are going into things like nursing and uh, in the field of health, they should be allowed and recognized that they should be able to go and learn from their elders, uh, and that it be given the equal. Um, value that they should go and uh, be able to be recognized uh, so that they can strengthen really uh, I think it would empower the the uh, the health practices if if both were taken into consideration and and uh, take the best of both worlds and I think it would be it would work much better.
Yeah, I mean, there's there's both a sense in which there are different methods to doing things, and I think one of the significant weaknesses of Western medicine is that it is largely reactive and often uh, overly reliant on uh, you know pharmaceuticals, yeah, uh, <laughs> and not prevention. Or th- there's also a sense in which communities know best. And and so I wonder. So are you thinking of the sort of alternative approach, both in terms of of having different ways of seeing the world and, and different ways of seeing medicine, but also communities get to decide for themselves what they need. I mean, I'm trying to think about how indigenous communities sort of receive uh, state-led efforts. Uh, you know, is 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 the pushback that the state is getting it wrong in some sense? Well, we recognize that there are certain valuable things in within the you know modern medicine, like surgeries and and uh, those kinds of procedures that are very important uh, to have. But at the same time, you see a lot of this pushing pills, and uh, I mean, there's already a crisis with addictions and. Uh, you know, you know, like, but I think our people have to be more involved and we, for our people to be healthy, in order for our people to be healthy, we need to take into consideration the cultural relevance as well as our, uh, relationship to the world around us that, you know, we did have, um, an indigenous worldview uh, that was um, kind of ignored, and our people were in in the process of assimilation. Our people have been, um, um, you know, encouraged to uh, believe in something different. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but in order for our people to be healthy. We need to reconnect with uh, with the land because, and, and, you know, we need to involve our elders. We need to involve our, the knowledge keepers and um, reconnect with our creation, with the creation and the things that were intended for us. That will be when we can be become healthy, but. It, we're a long ways away from that. So, so you're thinking about this issue, you know, much more generally beyond, for instance, having access to, uh, you know, healthcare bodies. I mean, this is, I mean, I, I get the sense that you're thinking about this holistically. I mean, when you, you're mentioning yes. more access to the land, yes. so it's not just about. I mean, it's certainly about capacity but also it seems to be about having space to to institute and to fully realize different worldviews well absolutely we have to it has to be be part of our lives it has to be part of our world and you know we're cooped up in these institutions uh, minimum security institutions right now and everybody else has been teaching our children for how many generations now? Um, 
you know, they're not counting the residential schools, but even even when our schools is not in our language, uh, you know, uh, we certainly, you know, your health, your health takes in everything, not just uh, whether you're sick or not. It takes in your entire life. It takes in whether you have a job. It takes in whether or not you have food to eat. Um, whether, you know, um, health is a lot more than just a pill. Yeah, and, and I think this speaks to the, the sort of Western model, which, you know, again, is, is reactive and, and uh, you sort of thinks of health as either illness or not illness, but also, you know, visits to the doctor once every several months rather than a way yeah. of living that, that encourages yeah. deeper health. In, in, my, uh, in my study of the, this new science, um, epigenetics, you know, they understand now today that um, every tiny little cell that makes up a, a, a makes up our body. Each uh, each tiny little cell has a brain. They've they've discovered this that every little cell has a brain. It also has a memory, and they also know now too that we transmit, particularly the women, we transmit that ancestral memory through the generations. But we also transmit the trauma and pain and suffering and unresolved issues. We also transmit that to the future generations as well. So, so when you look at the things that we've been through over the past 13 generations, you see what we carry within us. It's not just um you know it's not just a surface thing it's 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 our entire being <clears throat> and in our ceremony and in our way of looking at health and practicing health practices um it takes all of that into consideration and only we know only we know how to move through that now epigenetics the the doctor um doctor um bruce lipton is at the cutting edge of this new science and this is not me this is not just indigenous people this is a new science that's evolving and they're sort of on the cutting edge of it right now but i think where they're headed now is much closer to what our ancestors always believed that we can heal ourselves that we have the capacity it means that we have to believe that we can do this we have to believe that we can do this and so only we can do that among our own people I want to I want to build out that point a little bit. I mean, you know, resilience and capacity increase when people 
including indigenous peoples, have the tools and resources at their disposal to administer and design their own health and community programs. I mean, part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if you want to undo that colonial project and get better health and outcomes, part of that is transferring capacity and, and, and sort of un, undoing the paternalism of, of the state. I mean, if we're thinking about specifics, how, how should that look? I don't know. Is there, is there a, a, an approach that would apply across territories? Does it need to depend on the specific communities? I mean, what, what would I that think, approach look like? Yes, I think the diversity is, is, uh, must be taken into consideration in order for this way uh, of health will work. It, it, there's diversity even amongst my own people. We're not the same as they are out west. We're not the same as they are in the north. We, we have a different territory. We have a different uh, ideological relationship with the land. And our, we know what our homeland is. We know who we are. We know a lot. We still have a lot of knowledge around that. And But but the diversity across the country, if, if there was to be a program, and I do believe that uh, they are heading in that direction, with the resiliency centers that are being uh, established now, um, with the headquarters being in um, Chelsea, Quebec, there's a headquarters of a resiliency center. And the idea is to establish a resiliency center in every province and territory in the country. But the diversity among the people has to be taken into consideration. And like you said, uh, the needs of the people. Only the community can can tell you what the needs are. The needs of the people and uh, the cultural relevance is, you know, utmost importance in the development of these programs, these healing programs. They should be elder driven. They should be, you know, it it, it must be land based because, you know, my people, uh, our spirit spiritual beliefs were not the same as Christianity uh, contrary to popular belief they they were our spiritual connection or very spiritual deep spiritual connection was with the land and all other life forms and so um you know, the cultural relevance is going to be very important to reconnect with the land and the water within the territories. Uh, and so the programs need to be spiritually based and we must utilize all of our ceremonies and, uh, you know, to provide also the educational, um, the education or re-educating, I should say. Uh, of the knowledge that has been taken away from us. We need to reinstitute that into the minds of our people. At one time, our people knew who they were, but we've been given names, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, a part, a part of that uh, genocide was systemic, and it was... It was um, the eradication of our way of life and uh, and even our identity for heaven's sakes we did we were not indians w- until 1800 you know I, um, i'm my true identity is a wolastuk 
Kel. I'm a Wasp, Eastern Wabanaki. That's who I am. But, I'm, but they told my people that we were Indians and they gave us a number. So we can pick, uh, we can say we're an Indian or we're number 279. <laughs> just like a prisoner and so our belief system and our relationship with uh, the world around us was taken away and demonized and um, our very identity and our very worldview those are the things we need to get back to if we want to be healthy so and we and we can do it but we need to be given the opportunity to do it now, sort of strategically and, and practically, it's it, it seems to me that one of the major challenges is, is that you have you have to deal with layers and layers of the state in this case, which I mean historically and and in the present has been a significant roadblock. I'm thinking, you know, not just health authorities, municipalities, but also provinces and the federal government. I mean, how how do you navigate the different layers of of state entrenchment and state obstinacy when you're when you're trying to institute a, a different approach to health well it's very difficult it is very difficult and like i said before what they've been doing <coughs> with their superiority attitude uh has not worked it hasn't worked and i don't know whether or not what they've done was actually in our best interest or, or was it in the best interest of you know companies or Big, big dollars. I don't know, but I know for a fact that um, their mission was to destroy us. That was a mission to dismantle, um, you know, our society and everything that we stood for. And you know, even even to destroying the environment impacts us. It impacts us physically. It impacts us mentally, emotionally. It impacts us spiritually, the destruction of the environment. And I don't understand why all people don't feel that way. Or, I mean, uh, these are the very things that we depend on for life. It, to me, it's like insanity mm -hmm. to destroy the water and to destroy the forest and to destroy the land insanity so and we know too that you know it is difficult because of the layers and and years and and of discrimination and racism uh, racism is a is an important component of colonization it's a necessary component of colonization and it continues it is it is Im, embedded into the establishment, the bowels of the establishment. And so before there can be any meaningful change, that must be addressed. Is there a model either somewhere within the country or, or abroad that exhibits best practices is, is is there some jurisdiction that's getting it right that you see you look to and say that's how we do it or or again is it going to be dependent 
on the particularities of the of the territory community? Well, I think we've only just started to be able to talk about it. It's you know one of the things of uh, I think that that this little virus that stopped everybody in their tracks to stop and think about what we're doing uh, has given the opportunity of a lot of these truths to come to the surface. We we hear about you know a policeman who shot an indigenous woman in Edmonton, New Brunswick. He's back on the job a week after he slaughters her. And there's still no answers for the family. Um, we hear about another Indigenous woman in a hospital as she lay dying and, and had the wherewithal to videotape the abuse and racial slurs that she was ex- experiencing as she laid there and allowed to just let her die. I mean, <laughs> that's the epitome of racism if you ask me some of the things that were being said to her are exactly what what uh, are on the minds of people so and these are people working in essential these are essential workers and you know uh, we were pushed into a, a system that where we became dependent we're, we're, we're also dependent on those services too as well but to be treated that way, leaves a lasting impact for four generations. And so, um, you know, in order for there to be any kind of a change or improvement uh, to make, for that to be possible at all, uh, there has to be significant changes to the establishment. Do you think there's something about this moment that's going to change how we see things? Thinking about the the coronavirus in particular, I mean, is this or is this going to further entrench the sort of old system and the prejudices that enable it? I don't know. I think people. I think a lot of these things have come to the surface because of this little virus. You know, I mean, everybody's going through. Everybody's is putting everybody through the through the loop. But uh, at the same time, it has um, given. You know, there's a message there. I think if people choose to look at it um, with an open mind, that it's an opportunity for change to happen. Um, it doesn't have to go back to the same old, same old. It can, it can be improved, but there has to be a willingness. And I'll tell you right now, if people are not willing to change and look to the future uh, that is sustainable, then we can, we can expect to be on the cusp of mass extinction on this planet. So I think we're at that crossroads today. I think it's time that we took a look, a very serious look at what we're doing and where we want to go in the future. Because it may not be for us, but certainly our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will uh, 
suffer the consequences if you know if we choose to do the same old thing. You've mentioned climate a couple of times, and I can't think of a better example of how the predominantly Western attitude of extraction and development and endless growth for the sake of growth mm. is both mis- misguided, but also plainly a challenge to health and well-being. I mean, yes. it, looking at that, do you just want to sit there and scream, we told you so? <laughs> well, we cannot, ex- we cannot, um, separate those things uh, like science this new science now is just beginning to learn that all things are connected all life is connected and yet we've we've been poisoning ourselves in our environment and and it just it strikes <laughs> me you know it, it's fr- it's so frustrating to me to I can't even imagine how frustrating it is for you. It's frustrating to me to sit there and say, we've been told this over and over again from people who knew and we've ignored it and we're still doing it. We're still doing it. It's insanity. (laughs) For the short-term growth of not even everybody, particularly for for the few. Yes, I know. Yeah. Maybe they just don't see it yet. I don't know. Does there have to be another... Uh, virus <laughs> does there have to be another <laughs> in order for people to see clearly this is what's, what's so frustrating i mean it's right we just we're so bad at learning lessons uh, the, i mean the state i'm thinking of in particular i mean even with with covid i mean we lived through sars in this country uh, not not to the to this extent but certainly in ontario and it seems a lot of those lessons were even forgotten and it wasn't that long ago yeah my grandmother um my mother's mother and her sister and her brother died in the, um, I think it was 1918 uh, Spanish influenza, 1918. And I always thought that it was only for one year, but apparently in uh, uh, doing more research into it, it was like two or three years before they finally got rid of it. Spanish flu. They called it the Spanish flu. I don't know. <laughs> it was a it was a a world pandemic too. With any luck, I mean, hope we'll see how the vaccine rollout goes. I mean, I'm a little bit encouraged by the speed at which we've we've reached a vaccine this time around. It seems to be one of the few things we've actually done well. Yeah. Although we'll see who gets it and when. Yeah. <laughs> that's I guess, apparently they're going to give it to uh, frontline workers, and I I think that's a good choice. Uh, the nurses and doctors and people that are out there putting themselves out there to try to save lives. And, uh, I mean, those are the kinds of things, too, where I think that, you know, uh, the, the indigenous um, healing practices and the Western uh, healing practices can work together if if they choose to do that. Um, and not just look at what how much money they're going to make, or you know what I mean? Oh yes, <laughs> do I ever? I mean, this is what my concern is that we sort of default to the sort of capitalist mode of of accumulation mm. for the sake of accumulation. Uh, I want to close out on this question. I mean, thinking specifically about settlers in Canada and what it means for us to be 
allies in this context of, of capacity and, and resiliency development and of, of transferring decision-making power and, and resources to indigenous communities? I mean, what does it mean to be an ally as a settler in this context? Well, I would say probably to try to have a proper understanding, show some caring and sharing, and also taking responsibility for um, for the past, the present, and the future. That would be a good ally. Do you like our chances? I mean, have you seen any developments in communities, settler communities that's either? We we have yes we have here uh, we we've been struggling here uh, against the total assimilation of our people uh, that has um, you know trying to eliminate us through uh, their legislation and uh, creating frameworks and all that kind of thing and to negate our treaties. And so they're still, uh, they're still working to um, take our rights away and change us and um, assimilate us to make us like everybody else. I mean, I mean part of it uh, from the, from the settler side is, is recognizing that, right? I mean, it's got to be understanding that the project of colonialism and, and efforts at assimilation are still ongoing. They're not just some historical. It's, it's still event. ongoing. It's still ongoing. And that makes it very difficult for us to try to work with anybody, you know, uh, to try to come up with better solutions. It's, it's in the, it's in our, it's in the way. It's just in the way. And we don't want anybody to change our rights or take our rights away. They've had enough. We've had enough of it. And why they continue to do it, and they're throwing money at it and all kinds of things like that. So, you know, it's difficult. And this is all being done behind the backs of the people. The the people are not involved. I don't know why they can't sit down at a table with the people, uh, the Native women have been left out of all of the decision-making, and even though every decision that they have made will impact uh, us and our children and our grandchildren into the future, it will impact our lives, all these decisions that they're making behind our back. And they're in violation of their own laws they're in violation of the United, of the Section 35 of the Canadian Constitution. They're in violation of the Royal Proclamation. They're in violation of the treaties. They're in violation of international law. And they continue on. They continue on. I mean, part of the the government likes to talk about listening, but plainly they're not hearing, right? I mean, there's a big difference. Between they don't them. want to hear. They don't want to hear. They use terminologies to water down our rights, defining our rights right out of existence without us, without us. And then they're, they're surprised that they keep getting the same outcomes. As, you know. Yes. And then the same, you know, the same attitudes from us. What do you expect? What, what is to be expected? When the way we're being treated. Well, I certainly hope that those listening 
to this recording uh, will will hear you and, and hear your your criticisms, but but more importantly, perhaps or just as importantly, I should say, uh, the solutions that you've offered. Because I uh, I think wrapping our heads around the idea of of a different worldview and making space for that is is important and, and well i can tell you it is important not only for us but it's also important for the continuation of life on this planet i absolutely agree i i well i can't think of a better place to to end it than right there i think you're absolutely right and it's incumbent on us to listen and to hear so i i want to first of all thank you uh, Elder Alma Brooks for, for joining me today and speaking with me. I very, very, very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks as always to Mira Ahmad and to Aaron Reynolds who make this show possible and to each and every one of you listening from wherever you may be listening. And that brings us not only to the end of the episode, but to our holiday break. Open to debate. We'll be back on January 5th with Stephanie Kelton when we discuss deficits, debt, and the future of the economy. Until then, have yourselves a nice holiday, a safe break, and we look forward to catching up with you again soon.